The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. If you could see what I once was If you could go with me Back to where I started from Then I know you would see 1 Kings chapter 21 I love good stories. How about you? I love good stories. Now I'm a kind of an action and adventure. My wife is more of a uh, romance comedy. Sometimes we find things that are the same. Most of the time we don't. But I love a good story. What I love about the Bible is it tells you the truth. It doesn't pull any punches. No respecter of persons. Like one person said, one person said, the Bible is presented plainly as it is to people where we are. 1 Kings chapter 21. In every story, you see a few aspects. You see people and some sort. And then you see there's usually a problem. And then there's usually a promise or a resolution of the problem. And then you hope, at the end of it, there's a purpose why the author actually wrote the book besides selling the story. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The people, the problem, the purpose, I mean, the, uh, not does the purpose, the problem, the, the, and the, uh, the promise, and then the purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us this morning. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, which is so great to us. Thank you for your, your love, which is past finding out. And I pray, Lord, today, to God, that you would just help me as I, as I preach your word, God, that you'd give me the words to say, that you'd anoint these lips, Father, that you'd have me to say exactly what you'd have me to say. We thank you for your wonderful love to us that we're reminded of in your word. And even though times of sorrow and times of pain, you show yourself mighty. Through times of judgment and sorrow, you show your great grace. I pray, God, today that you'd speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 21, we see four people. First, the person we see before we actually read the passage is a man by the name of Ahab. Ahab, the son of Omri, the seventh king of Israel, since the kingdom was divided, one man said that Ahab was the toe that sat on the throne of Israel. He was a wicked king, a very wicked king. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30, the Bible says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Ahab saw God do miraculous deeds, yet he still rejected him. Ahab witnessed a drought of three and a half years. And in that agricultural-based society, that meant a whole lot. Ahab saw God send fire and destroy a soaked altar on Mount Carmel. That contest that we find in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse God versus Baal, which really there was no contest because God always wins. 
In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38, the Bible says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Wow. Oh, that we would see the fire fall once again in America. Ahab saw that. Ahab not only saw the firefall, Ahab, even though he was a wicked king, God worked for him. In 1 Kings chapter 20, Ahab was delivered from the hand of Israel's enemy, Syria. The Bible says in 1 Kings 20, 28, there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in thine hand. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And you see that phrase written over and over and over through the scriptures. That ye may know that I am the Lord. What does that tell me? Though he saw miracles, though he saw God conquer his enemies for him, we can be in the midst of the miraculous. We can see God's hand on one side and the other and still live like there is no God. We can live, though we see God all around us, we can live like God does not even exist. But above all the bad things that Ahab did, the worst thing he did was who he married. Ahab married a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. And Ahab became a tool in her cruel hands. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to marry Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of Elibel, king of the Zidons, who served as the priest of Baal. Jezebel encouraged Ahab to do evil instead of good. 1 Kings 21-25, But there was none like Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness on the side of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. Man, there's nothing in the world about having a godly wife that encourages you to do right. The Bible says, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. But friend, you find a bad one, it's the closest thing to hell on this earth. It's true. Because I've counseled several marriages that were that way. That were that way. The Bible says she was the store of righteousness. 1 Kings 18.4 The Bible says she cut off the prophets of, prophets of the Lord. Jezebel was domineering to say the least. And she was really the real king in Israel. How powerful. She was so powerful that even though God's man Elijah stood up against 450 prophets and won the day and saw the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth destroyed, one sentence by this wicked woman in 1 Kings 19.2 the Bible says that Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more so also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And instead of standing up to this woman, Elijah fled like a puppy dog to the wilderness. That brings us to the next person. Elijah. He had his difficulties. I love what the Bible says about him in James chapter 5 and verse 17. Elias, or Elijah, was a, was a man subject to like passions. 
as we are. Meaning, meaning he was hungry, he thirsty, he had problems, he has difficulty. Sometimes we look at the prophet and say, they're perfect. Or the preacher say, oh, they're perfect. Well, you know better than that with me. But you look at all these folks. I mean, he got, he's got issues, he's got problems, he's got difficulty. He was a man of like passions as we are. He prayed, but he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And we, mean, we might need to start praying pretty soon here. But he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Elijah was a stone wall that stood in the midst of the flood of idolatry. Idolatry wants to destroy everything in this country. We are a country that's giving over to God that was used to be, the God that used to be. Now we're giving over to the God of idols. Oh, we, we used to be in God we trust. Now it's in gold we trust and stuff we trust. Elijah stood against that, even though Ahab brought it in and Jezebel encouraged it. Elijah stood against it. Elijah was a great prophet of faith who drank water by the brook Cherith and was fed by the ravens, according to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 6. Elijah confronted King Ahab and rebuked him for his wickedness. He was willing to go up to the wicked king and say, what you're doing is not right. 1 Kings 18, 17, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, thou art he that troubleth, or, or thou art he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel. But thou and thy father's house, and that thou hast forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. It was Elijah who prayed for the fire to fall there at Mount Carmel to consume the altar that was flooded with water. And it was a wonderful prayer. In verse Kings chapter 18, verse 37, he prayed, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned, that thou hast turned their back, their heart back again. We've seen Ahab, we've seen Jezebel, we've seen Elijah. What about Naboth, this man we're going to read about? We don't know a whole lot about him. All we know about Naboth was he was a, a Jezreelite of the tribe of Issachar who had a vineyard next to King Ahab's summer palace. So with all that being said in the introduction, let's read chapter 21 of the book of Kings, starting in verse 1. What was the problem? We've seen the people. What was the problem? And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab the king. And Ahab spake unto Naboth saying, Give me the vent, thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of, of herbs and because it is near unto my house and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it or if it seem good to thee I will give thee the worth of it and money. Now, as we start out here, uh, the king Ahab has a request, and it's, a, it's an honorable request. He simply goes to him and says, hey, you have a vineyard. It's near my palace. It was a summer palace. It was actually, someone, some people call it, theologians call it an ivory palace. It was a, a beautiful place. And he walks around his palace, and he looks, and he sees a vineyard that's not his, and he goes to the person who owns it, Naboth, and said, hey, I would like to have your vineyard. And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it from you. I'll, I'll give you, or I'll give you a vineyard that's equal to it. Whatever you want, I'll do it. And so it's an it's a honorable request. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. But we see verse 3. And Naboth said to Ahab, 
The Lord forbid it that I should give the inheritance to my fathers unto thee. And have came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which came, which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him upon his, his bed and he turned away his face and he would not eat. Abath, Naboth would not sell the property. Why? He said, why? I mean, this is a king. He's offering a good price. He's he willing to give another vineyard. It doesn't make sense. Why would, he, why would he do this? Well, in most cases, it would seem like it would make sense, especially since he's the king. But see, this is a different situation. situation because the family, the Jewish families in Israel were forbidden to sell their property. The land... <clears throat> The Bible says, according to Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. It was not Naboth's land. It was the Lord's land. It was an inherited land. So it wasn't just say, hey, you know, just like my house in San Carlos, it's not something that my forefathers and, 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 and fathers by, by past them was given to my family. It was nothing like that. This was this land that was that was that was precious to them. It was it was, it mattered to them. It was it was a part of their life. The Bible says in Numbers thirty six seven, so shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel move from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And even if sometimes they did sell the land, and that did happen from time to time, that they got in so bad of situations, even though they should have not sold the land. They did, they did sometimes sell the land, but after every 50, year, 50 years was called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee, whatever land was sold, automatically went back to those who originally inherited it. So this was something that Naboth, it's not like he, he didn't have the opportunity. He said, I can't sell it. It was something that was precious. It was something that was his. It was something that was inherited. And he didn't do it. And thank God when we have things in our lives, families, that are so precious, we don't sell them to wickedness. Because <laughs> the devil and his crowd always wants to take that which is precious. Well, that you think would be the end of it. But in verse 5, we see Jezebel and her wicked scheme. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, and you can just imagine how she says it, <laughs> Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? <laughs> you know, you imagine poor henpecked old Ahab. <laughs> and he said unto her, now you can just imagine this little pouty faced poor soul, you know. <laughs> because I spake to Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard. For he said, and answered, I will, I will not give thee my vineyard. You can imagine his pouty, sad voice. And how does she, what does she react? Oh, 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 dear husband, everything's going to be all right. Just sit down and I'll bring you some sweet tea. I'll bring you some dessert. It's all going to be okay. No, she doesn't do that. <laughs> she says, she mocks him. She provokes his pride. And she says, dost thou not now govern the, king of, the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry, and I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she comes up with this scheme here in verse 8. So she wrote letters to Ahab's name and sealed them with the seal and sent letters unto the elders and the nobles that were in the city dwelling with the Naboth. It wasn't just 
heard it was going to get involved. She was getting everybody else involved in her wicked scheme. The Bible says she wrote these letters in verse 9 and proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. Verse 10, and set two men, sons of Belial, meaning worthless men, wicked men, set two sons of Belial before him and to bear witness against him, saying, Thou dost blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And this is exactly what happened. They proclaimed a fast. They set Naboth on high, meaning they set him on trial. Whenever there was a call for a fast, it was a serious thing, as not eating is a serious thing. They say they called for a fast. They set Naboth on high. And they had these two men of Belial said, Hey, Naboth, he blasphemed the king. He blasphemed God. They took him. They stoned him. And they killed him. And not just him. They killed all his heirs. All his family. What a wicked thing. We see here the people and the problem. In the midst of all this, after this problem, you look. And you see the stoning of this, this, this innocent man, and you want to say, where's God? Is God deaf? Did God leave? Does he care? And sometimes we in America, we look around and say the same things after Marines die. And madman goes into the theater and shoots folks. And we say, where's God? Is God gone? Did God retire? I tell you, though, folks, praise God that God's not gone. God's not dead. It's not that He left us. We have left Him. The promise we see here in verses 17 through 24, thank God when there's wicked men, there's a man of God standing ready to speak the word of God. And the Bible says in verse 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab the king of Israel, which is a Samaria. Behold, he is in his vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. Verse 19, Thou shalt speak in him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where, the, where dogs lift the, the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lift the Blood even thine. Verse 20, Ahab said unto Elijah, interesting, hast thou found me, mine enemy? Can you imagine how afraid he is? Because that's what guilt does to us. It causes us to be afraid, causes us to be scared. Can you imagine him meeting Elijah? And he answered, I have found thee because thou hast, listen to these words, thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Sold thyself. You've given yourself over to evil in the sight of the Lord. Because of that, judgment was coming. Judgment we see in verse 23 to Jezebel. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And him that dieth, verse 24, in the city the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like an Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abundantly in following idols according to all the things which the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Oh, there may be wickedness. Oh, there may be problems. But God and God's man and God's word is spoken 
And when that is spoken, the end of it will come. The promise will come. In the midst of all of this, verse 27, what surprises me? Even though all this wickedness, even though Ahab goes through, realize he's going to be judged for his sin. It says there in verse 20, it says, It came to pass that Ahab heard those words, and he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Now to me, as a parent, you know the difference between uh, being sorry and, and being sorry that you got caught. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's one thing for my son or daughter to come to me and say, Dad, you know, I, I, I lied or I stole or I took this and uh, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a beautiful thing. It's another thing when you have the rod of correction in your hand and you say, you're about to be sorry and they start crying. And then they're really sorry. Here it seems as if Ahab is sorry because judgment has been pronounced on his life. He's going to die. Not only him, his descendants, and his wife, Jezebel. But even in the midst of judgment, God shows mercy. What a God we serve. Look at there in verse 29. He says, seest thou, God is talking to, the Lord is talking to Elijah, seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the evil upon his house. Oh, we see the people, the problem, the promise, the future is going to be foretold. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. It's coming to Ahab and his house and Jezebel. But does it actually happen? Does judgment actually happen? Does, does God mean anything he actually says? Or is this just a book of myths and wise tales and sayings that we're used to reading? No, God's word is true, folks. And God's word comes to pass. The future fulfilled. Three years later, 1 Kings chapter 22, Ahab makes a decision because the Syrian army is now, after they've been defeated in, in the chapters before, now they're decided they're going to fight against Israel once again. And Ahab makes a decision to join up league with Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is a righteous king, but sometimes he makes some bad decisions. He makes a bad decision to, to get involved with Ahab. In the midst of their decision and planning, they ask, they ask for the word of the Lord to be said. An interesting 400 prophets come up and say, go to battle, fight against the Syrians, it's going to be okay, you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win. That's why you've got to be careful who you listen to. Because a wrong crowd will tell you you're going to win when you may be losing. There's one man, Micaiah, Prophet of the Lord. And you know he's a prophet of the Lord because Ahab hates him. <laughs> Micaiah says, you go, go ahead and go. You go to war, but if you go, Ahab, you're going to die. They go to war. Even though Micaiah says to him, if you go, you're going to die. They go ahead and go. Jehoshaphat, again, making a crazy decision. Ahab gets him to disguise himself in Israel's kingly robes. Jehoshaphat put on Ahab's kingly garb. Now the Syrians hated Ahab because they defeated him earlier. And somehow Ahab says, I tell you what, you act like the king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat does it. He puts on Israel, King Israel's robes and he puts on his garments and he, he goes out there and pretends to be the king of Israel. 
And Ahab disguises himself like a, a regular soldier. And they go to war. And the Syrians see, uh, see Jehoshaphat. They think he's the king of Israel. And they say to him, fight only against the king. They wanted to kill Ahab. So they said, fight only against the king of Israel. So Ahab, Jehoshaphat's out there and they, they seek to destroy him. Jehoshaphat cries out. And they realize that this is not Ahab, it's Jehoshaphat. And peradventure, just happenstance, if you will. Somebody draws a, a bow, a soldier draws a bow and shoots an arrow, just if by chance, right? The arrow flies in the air and it lands between the armor of Ahab. And it kills him. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 37, so the king died, was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king of Samaria. Verse 38, 1 Kings 22, 38. And one was washed the chariot, the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up the, licked up the blood, and they washed his armor. Listen to what it says. According to the word of the Lord which he spake. God spake. And God's word was fulfilled. 20 years passed. What about Jezebel? What about his descendants that was promised to be destroyed? 20 years passed. 20 years, long time, isn't it? 20 years, long time to work and not get paid. 20 years, long time to see somebody say something's going to happen and it never happened. But it does happen. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 9, 2 Kings chapter 9, Elijah goes up in the whirlwind. With the Lord. Doesn't take the, the, the death dude does not touch his brow. And he anoints Elisha to be his successor. Jehoram, Ahab, and Jezebel's son now is on the throne. But of course, it's still Jezebel who's ruling the kingdom. In the midst of all this, Elisha, Elijah's successor, anoints Jehu. Now, Jehu, he's a crazy king. He's kind of like a modern-day Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, he's going to destroy everybody. He's going to, he's going to defeat everybody. He's just a madman. He's a crazy man. He's a guy you don't want to fight against. You want him on your side, not against you. Jehu is not the most righteous person, but he does exactly what he is told to do. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, the Bible says, after he was told to go out and destroy the descendants of Ahab and Jezebel, Verse 2 Kings 9, 22, the Bible says, And it came to pass when, thou, when, the, when Jehoram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? <laughs> Can you imagine? He knows the reputation of this man. He says, Is it peace? I want peace. Please, don't do anything to me. Is it peace? And he answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. 2 Kings 9, 24, and Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Joram between his arms and the arrow went out of his heart and he sunk down in his chariot. He died there. What happened to the body of Joram? Interesting, 2 Kings 9, 26. The Bible says, Surely I've seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons. saith the Lord, and I will require of thee in this plat, saith the Lord, now therefore take Cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. I said to you, remember, way back when this is going to happen. The word of God was spoken through Elijah. 20 years later, it happened. It happened.
and not just to Jehoram, the descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. But Jezebel, her death was required as well. Look there what it says in 2 Kings in chapter 9 and verse 30. Jehu was come to Jezreel. It just had, uh, had to be that uh, the king of Judah had been there with Jehoram. And he died as well. He was the wrong place, the wrong time, and Jehu's wrath went against him as well. The Bible says when Jehu was come of Jezebel, Jezebel heard it. Now you think when you, you know this is coming, you know you hear of Jehu, you know problems coming, and I wonder if every time the dog barked that uh, Jezebel shook in his slippers, little, his slippers just a little bit. I mean, because she knew many years ago, 17 years ago, exactly what Elijah said was going to happen actually came to pass. And now it comes to pass here in, first, in 2 Kings chapter 9. The Bible says that Jehu entered into the gate and she said, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? Zimri was the king of Israel who lasted only seven days. Instead of being humble about it, instead of begging for mercy, oh, wicked Jezebel, she showed herself once again. The Bible says in verse 32, he lifted up his face to the, wid the window and said, who is on the Lord's side? And if it wasn't so tragic, this is almost comical. Because can you imagine being a servant of Jezebel? Can you imagine following after her? The Bible says here in verse 32, and there looked out two of them, him two, two or, two or three eunuchs. And he said, he said to the eunuchs, throw her down. And he threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on her horses and trod under her foot. What did Jehu do? Yeah, Jehu do. When he was come in, he, he did eat and drink. And he said, go see this now, this cursed woman and bury her. For she is a king's daughter. And went to bury her. The Bible says in verse 35, and he found no more of her than the skull. The skull, the wicked skull that came up with the scheme to destroy Naboth. And, and her feet, the wicked feet, that went and took the message for him to be destroyed. In the palms of her hands, those were the only three, three things that were left of this wicked woman. The palms of the hands that delivered the message for Naboth to be destroyed. The Bible says there in verse 36, Wherefore they came again and told him, and said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, Elijah said, in the portion of, the Jez, of, of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung because the face of the field of the portion of Jezreel so that they shall not say this is Jezebel. They couldn't even recognize it. In the next chapter, Jehu goes ahead and he finishes what he's been told to do. He he destroys Jehoram, kills Jezebel, and Ahab, in verse 1 of chapter 10, Ahab, we see, has 70 sons, and Jehu destroys the entire lineage, all the heirs of wicked Ahab and Jezebel. And you read this and you say, what in the world does this have to do with me? I'll tell you what it has to do with every one of us. Because it screams that actions have consequences. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't walk on God's green earth and sniff God's air and live like there's no God. There is a God in heaven. 
We can't see God do wondrous works. Take care of bills. Save folks. And live like there's no God. There is a purpose in this story. God's judgment will grind slow. But brothers and sisters, I can promise you today, God's grinding will grow short, grind short. It grinds short. Every time we have a decision, a choice to sin, to do that which is right, or to do that which is wrong, we must realize if we sow to wickedness, we will reap wickedness. The Bible says it plainly in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. That means we can be deceived, can't we? We can fool ourselves into thinking, God doesn't see, God doesn't know, God doesn't care. We can think that. We can start thinking like God doesn't even, it doesn't matter what we do down here. We can just do whatever we want and there's no consequences for our actions. But Paul writes to the church of Galatia, be not deceived, God is not mocked. You can't mock God. You can't do what you want. We, we can't do what we want in this life because we're bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we can't just live like we want. We can't do what we want. We live not to serve ourselves. We live to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you ever want to hear a great sermon, listen to the sermon by a man by the name of R.G. Lee. He preached this same text as a pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He preached it 1,200 times. It was the most famous ser sermon of the 20th century. And he said these words, Payday Someday is written on the constitution of God's universe. Sowing and reaping. Reaping and sowing is written in the constitution of God's universe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must be careful what we're doing. Our decisions, the choices we make today, the decisions we make today have consequences for tomorrow. What are we, what are we going through in, in America right now? We're going through the judgment of decisions that were made 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago. We're under the judgment hand of God because of decisions not just made today, but many, many years ago. We're going through this now because of bad choices, bad decisions that was made before. That's why it's so important that we guard our heart. It's so important that we do what's right. Because the devil, man, he doesn't want us, he doesn't want us living for God. The devil doesn't want us on his battlefield. He wants us on the sidelines. He wants us sitting in the crowd, no longer serving God. He wants us to be wicked. He wants us to be like the world. Payday someday is written in the Constitution of God's universe. Families, moms and dads, may we be so careful. Because just like Naboth's vineyard, we have something precious. May we be careful how we raise them. May we raise them in the, in the nurture, the teaching, the, the, the discipleship, and the admonition 
of the Lord. The Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Our children are a heritage from the Lord. Oh, they're precious like that vineyard, like Naboth's vineyard. They're precious. They're, they're prized. They're an inheritance from God. Oh, how we as parents got to be so careful how we raise them. Because this world wants to destroy them. The, ah- the Ahabs and the Jezebels of this world wants to destroy all the good in this world. The Ahab, the Jezebels wants to take that which is precious, that, that, which is, that which is fine and good and it can be useful and destroy it. So it's no longer a vineyard. It's no longer plants. But it's just sand and useless. To the saying of God, beware for payday is someday. If you're here in the audience this day and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, dear friend, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it's important to man once to die, but after this, the judgment. This life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. You don't just live like a dog and die like a dog, whatever that means. I'm so thankful yesterday that I got to preach the home-going service of Connie Christmas. This wasn't something to be sad about. It was to be celebrated in the sense that she was in a, she's in a better place. Oh, the last time I saw Connie Christmas, she was in a fetal position. But now she walks streets of gold. And dear friend, if you're here without Christ today, you can know Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says in verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 9, So Christ once offered to bear His sins for many. Jesus Christ died on that cross. He lived a perfect life. He died on that cross. He shed His blood so that you can have everlasting life. That you don't have to go to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. You can be with Jesus forever and ever in heaven. He died for you. Now will you trust Him? Dear friend, consequences come to us who know Christ if we choose to do evil. And consequences come to those who do not know Christ because they choose not to serve Him, choose not to follow Him, choose not to be saved. We must choose to do what's right. Father God, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. I pray, God, that You would help us, Lord, to realize that actions have consequences. That You would help us to look hard at our lives and the things that we're doing, the lives that we're living, the precious things that you've given us and realize just one choice, just one decision can destroy all that. I wonder how wonderful Naboth's vineyard was. But it was destroyed because of covetousness, deceit, and lies. And God, how our lives can be wrecked by sin. Help us to choose today to follow you and not to follow ourselves. I pray if there's one in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, or you're not sure you know the Lord, how about settling it today? How about asking Christ to be your Savior today? How about not having any more doubts? Maybe I'll go to heaven. Maybe I won't. I'm not sure. How about today, settling the matter and asking Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior today? He wants to, and He will.
Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved today. Father, do your work. Your way. Today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. I'm just a I'm nothing but a sin.